MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. And in today's show, we're going to look at crowdfunding, blockchain, and also discuss tokens and cryptocurrencies. My guest in today's episode is Mark Roderick. Mark is one of the leading crowdfunding and fintech lawyers in the United States. Expanding on his in depth knowledge of capital raising and securities law, Mark represents many portals and other players in the crowdfunding field. He writes a widely read blog, crowdfundattny.com, which provides readers with a wealth of legal and practical information for portals, issuers, and investors. He also speaks at crowdfunding events across the country and represents industry participants across the country and around the world. And also, just a reminder, if you're interested in joining our investors group, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form to see if you're a good fit for our group. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? I would be more than happy. I always start off by saying, well, it was a clear blue day when I was born. But then people uh, always interrupt me and say, we don't want that much information. So uh, so I have been a, uh, a boring corporate lawyer for decades now, and I have always represented entrepreneurs and their businesses in all the stuff that entrepreneurs do. And one of the things that entrepreneurs very often find themselves doing is trying to raise capital. Um, and so I've been helping folks raise capital for a long time. And that led me uh, to the crowdfunding world because when I saw the JOBS Act, which is the crowdfunding statute on the horizon, I said to myself, this is going to be super cool. This is going to transform the capital raising industry because all it is, crowdfunding is just the internet coming to the capital formation industry. 
meaning the internet bypassing all the middlemen and uh, directly connecting buyers and sellers as the internet does in every industry. And uh, the capital formation industry being a gigantic and fragmented and very inefficient industry being ripe for disruption. So I said, this is going to be super cool. And that that led me into crowdfunding where I've spent the last five years and, and also into the cryptocurrency and blockchain world. So that is my personal journey to get from that clear blue day when I was born to here. Yeah, you brought it all nicely together there for us. So appreciate that. Um, crowdfunding. Uh, some of my listeners might not be familiar exactly what it is and how it works. And you also talk about the three flavors of crowdfunding. Can you expand a little on that? I would be happy to. And as I as I said, um, you know, fortunately, there's a lot of complicated legal rules because otherwise no one would need to hire me. But Crowdfunding really is at its essence and should be understood as just the internet. So for, you know, modern U.S. securities laws, that is the laws around raising capital from investors, date back to the years just after the Great Depression, starting with the election of Franklin Roosevelt in 1932. And over that entire period, you know, 85 years, um, one thing, there have been a couple things that have been true that whole time, one of them being um, private companies trying to raise capital could not advertise. That was a cardinal rule of the U.S. securities laws. Only public companies, big companies could advertise. But if you were an entrepreneur, real estate developer trying to raise capital, you were not allowed to advertise. And um, that's what changed in 2012 with the Jobs Act. Um, the Jobs Act said, now you can advertise and specifically you can reach investors for the first time using the internet, okay? So previously, when you tried to raise capital, as your listeners might know, if they have gone through it before, you you'd have to just start talking with people, friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends to try to find somewhere, someone out there, you know, in the dense fog that you'd finally hook up with um, and would invest. And so, you know, using the internet cleared all that away, you know, just as you can use the internet to find a hotel wherever you're going or a taxi cab when it's foggy in New York. Um, using crowdfunding, you can use the internet. If you're an entrepreneur today, you can go online legally for the first time and literally connect with every investor in the world. And that's just... That is a gigantic thing. So that's what crowdfunding is. It just means you can advertise for the first time. Now, when Congress passed the Jobs Act, it created crowdfunding of three kinds, and that's I call them three flavors of crowdfunding. And of course, I'm not going to go into all the detail here, but I'll just briefly summarize. Um, and I will 
I will tell your listeners that when laws are passed by Congress and signed by the president, the laws are broken up into pieces, typically, like the chapters of a book. Um, And the pieces of a law are called titles. That's all that word means in connection with laws. So we refer to the three flavors of crowdfunding as Title II, Title III, and Title IV. And that just references the section of the Jobs Act that those laws appear in. So quickly, Title II crowdfunding It is the simplest, fastest, easiest kind of crowdfunding. Um, Only accredited investors can participate. Accredited investors used to mean rich people, but the inflation has kind of whittled down the significance. But you have to earn $200,000 a year or 300 with your spouse or have a net worth of a million dollars without your principal residence. And in 1982, when those definitions were enacted, 200,000 was a lot more than it is today. But um, so that's the definition of accredited investor. And in, in Title II, only accredited investors can participate. And other than that, it's wild, wild west, basically. So that is, um, yeah, that is inexpensive and fast. The second kind, Title III crowdfunding, is a brand new animal unlike anything we've ever seen before in U.S. securities laws. It is internet only. By law, all Title III crowdfunding can be done only online. Like, you can't use FedEx to send people documents. You can't have phone calls with people to tell them about the offering. Everything has to be done online. And in Title III, everyone can participate, not just accredited investors. But Congress, because this was so brand new, um, kept it small. They want to keep the experiment small. So you can only raise a limited amount of money, about a million dollars. And then every investor is subject to very stringent limits on how much he or she can invest. Again, Congress sort of trying to make sure that the widows and orphans don't uh, have their houses taken away from them by slick-talking entrepreneurs. And plus, all Title III offerings have to go through a new kind of entity Uh, called a funding portal that has to be registered with the SEC. It's kind of like a broker. You can think of it as broker light. So Title III, small amounts of money, only online and only through licensed funding portals. Very different than Title II. And then Title IV crowdfunding is very similar to a full public offering of stock. So in Title IV, anyone can invest, accredited and non-accredited. You can raise a lot more money than Title III. You can raise $50 million a year rather than $1 million a year. But you have to go through a whole approval process with the SEC. They, you know, you, you have to pay a lawyer like me, fortunately, to uh, prepare a thick 
book and you submit it to the SEC and they look at it and have comments and you make some changes and you go back and forth. And then finally, hopefully, the SEC says, okay, you're good to go. And, and then you can, start, uh, you can start actually selling securities. And I guess I should say, I should have said in the beginning, that one of the first things I ever put up on my blog was a crowdfunding cheat sheet, which is a little table that summarizes these three kinds of crowdfunding. And that little cheat sheet has <laughs> gone around the world about a hundred times. So if you're interested, that that would be, uh, you don't have to be using shorthand to uh, to write down what I'm saying here. So anyway, that's crowdfunding and that those are the three flavors. Uh, for what type of businesses and entrepreneurs is crowdfunding a good fit for? And what, what type of industries and businesses is it, is it not such a good fit for? Well, that's a good question. Um, the, the crowdfunding market is still about 90% real estate. People apparently kind of makes common sense. You're sitting at your computer or on your phone these days. A lot of people invest on their phone, believe it or not. And um, you're investing something that you can't, you know, touch and feel. You, you're, you're not sitting across from the entrepreneur at your table. You're, you're not, you know, you're not getting that in-person experience. And so people feel comfortable investing in real estate because there it is. It's a thing. It's a piece of land. It's a building. They know what real estate looks and feels like, and they can see a picture of it right there. So real estate has been by far the most um, successful sort of asset class in, in the crowdfunding world so far. Um, the, the other kind of business that has been very successful it's and it it's just casts a broader net is um, the kinds of businesses that attract a lot of uh, social media followers. So if you have the kind of business that can attract twenty five thousand Facebook followers, you are going to be successful crowdfunding, and and that can mean a lot of different things. Um, believe it or not, in the Title Three world. Title III crowdfunding, one of the most successful asset classes has involved alcohol. Breweries um, have been very, very successful. Um, and, you know, it kind of makes sense. People, you know, want to, people like craft beer, people want to support the local uh, craft brewery. And so they invest a little money. But that's not the only, it's, it's not just alcohol. You know, one of the big success stories was a car company that, you know, they're not Tesla, but a company that promises to make these wonderful environmentally friendly cars. And they've done a great job on social media attracting followers. And they raised about $17 million. But, and, and again, there's nothing a car company and a brewery have nothing in common except they have a terrific story that people can relate to personally. So any business with that kind of personal story, um, you know, is a good, is a good crowdfunding candidate just because 
it's you know easier to attract folks and and in that line um companies that uh can look to their customers to be their investors and to their investors to be their customers are a potentially good fit you sort of get uh double the bang for your money when you're advertising to customers, when you're advertising to investors. One such industry that has had some traction, but I'm surprised it hasn't had more, is restaurants, for example. You know, everyone who comes into your restaurant, you can give a little card and say, would you like to invest? And there they are. By definition, they believe in what you're doing. They like the food you serve. So, um, those kind of companies. Um, the companies that have so far not really had any traction are companies outside those two groups um, that don't have an exciting story to tell and are not, you know, real estate that people can touch and feel. So I, I had I got a call from a company that makes machine tooling. You know, very good at what they do, very successful. Yep. I I personally did not think that that was going to be a great fit because, well, it's just, you know, it, how do you get Facebook followers for a machine tooling company? Um, but, I mean, I should also say in response to your question, this is a brand new thing. Um, it's only been around a few years. Um, I... Because it is the internet, I think it is going to do the same thing to the capital formation industry that it's done to all the other industries it's touched, the travel industry, the taxi cab industry, the dating industry. And it's not going to be long before every entrepreneur looking for money will look first online. That's just the nature of what the internet does. Yeah, it's where it's all going. Uh, what are some of the legal liabilities for folks that uh, are thinking about uh, utilizing uh, crowdfunding? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so, you you have potential liability anytime you use other people's money for stuff. You're going to form a business. If you just use your money, that's one thing. Once you raise other people's money, you potentially are liable to those people under federal and state securities laws. So, for example, if you lie to them, you are liable. Um, if you cheat them, you are liable. And that your listeners are sitting there saying, yes, yeah, so what? Um but that is really what it boils down to. If you comply with the law, whether you're doing it by FedEx or online, then ultimately, even if they sue you, their lawsuits are probably not going to be, well, not probably. If you, if you comply with the law, um, the lawsuits against you are not going to be successful. So... For example, if I raise money for a real estate project and um, I, I tell everyone the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, I told my investors, I raised some money, but then the economy just tanks 
and the real estate investment market deteriorates and I can't find any tenants and the bank forecloses and we lose the property, everyone loses their money. That does not make me liable to anybody. The fact that people lost money doesn't make me liable. I'm only liable if I didn't tell them the truth. For example, if I claimed, guys, invest, this property is already fully leased up to a triple A tenant. When that wasn't true, now I'm liable to them. But if I told them the truth, the fact that they lost money doesn't matter. Um, and it's no different, to answer your question directly, it's no different online than it is offline. So there is no special liability, no additional liability that comes from raising money using crowdfunding versus the old-fashioned way. And finally... Um, well, two things I'll say. Anyone raising money from other people should have insurance. <laughs> and the reason is that although what I'm saying is completely true, that if you followed the law, you're ultimately not going to be liable. If any of your listeners have ever been in a lawsuit, they know that the time and expense of defending the lawsuit is what really matters right? It's just so expensive and so time-consuming. So you can't stop people in that real estate investment. The market went bad. They lost their money. You can't stop them from suing you. You can tell them, guys, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. They can still sue you. Um, and the insurance covers the cost of defending that claim. So that is the whole picture there. Let's switch gears a little bit and move on to blockchain technology. Uh, how does blockchain technology fit into this crowdfunding model? Well, um, a couple ways. One is um, blockchain actually holds out some promise for crowdfunding investments because to the extent that blockchain can make information secure, um, it is, would be useful in the crowdfunding industry from a number of different perspectives. That's, that's one thing, just using the actual secure technology, you know, the distributed ledger. Two, if, um, if we get to a point where a lot of companies are keeping track of their cap tables using blockchain, that is to say, when a lot of securities are tokenized, and that's all it means to be tokenized, that you're keeping track of them on a distributed ledger. Um, it might, we don't know, but it might help to create a secondary market for these securities, okay? The one thing, as you know, about investing in private securities, the one drawback it has is that this private securities are not liquid, meaning it's hard to find a buyer um, as opposed to, you know, buying Facebook stock on the public market where if you need the money next week, you can sell the stock. So blockchain might uh, help create a vibrant secondary market for these securities. So that, and, and that would be huge if that happens. A lot of people think it will happen, um, but the the jury is still out and and finally 
um, a lot of blockchain companies and crypto companies themselves raise money using crowdfunding. In fact, that that's the typical way those companies use money. They or um, raise money. They they use Title II crowdfunding. Um, so that's the, the crowdfunding industry and the blockchain industry have kind of become very very much intertwined over the last twelve months. You're listening to Mark Roderick on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back afterward from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. You're listening to Mark Roderick on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. Now, there's been some developments in the uh, ICO space and a lot of uh, a lot of regulation stepping in. What What's your view on what's going on there? What are some of the, the latest things that uh, that interest you uh, happening around there? And how do you see it all play out? Is it advantageous to investors? Um, your thoughts? Well, the it, the um, you know the blockchain slash crypto industry got off to a very rough and unfortunate start in 2017, where. Um, frankly, you just had a lot of people, including a lot of lawyers who should have known better, doing bad stuff. And I, and I don't think they were doing it, you know, for bad motives. <laughs> they were all trying to make money, of course. But um, they, they got this idea that because this blockchain technology is so new and so cool and so terrific that it was not going to be subject to any existing laws. Like it was going to exist somehow separate from the legal system. And that's the foot that the industry got started. And, and that was just, you know, that was wrong. That <laughs> they, they made a lot of big mistakes. And they unfortunately kind of fueled a mindset where uh, we can do anything we want and, and get away with it. And, and even, you know, blockchain is so wonderful, it's going to change the world for the better that um, it kind of had that Uber mindset of, well, let's just do it because it's so wonderful. We don't care about the consequences. You know, we'll apologize afterwards, but let's just do it. And that was a big mistake um, and led to a lot of bad stuff. What has happened over the last 12 months, particularly over the last six months, is the securities regulators, meaning the SEC, has basically stepped in and said, um, no, your activities, <laughs> your activities selling these tokens are no different than anyone else's activities. Um, and we're going to regulate you the same way we regulate everyone. And that in the blockchain crypto world, um, that came as shocking news. <laughs> you know, oh my God, the sky is falling, these terrible regulators. But um, it, it really should have been obvious and it has been net 
a very good thing for the crypto blockchain industry to get some um, semblance of order and to sort of quiet down the frenzy. So we now know that, um, you know, selling tokens, if the token is a security, then selling that token and reselling it and creating an exchange, a secondary market for it is subject to all the same rules that have been around, you know, for the last 85 years. And I, I say that's good because you can't have a market where no one knows what the rules are. And I, I, I think by and large, except for a few holdouts, uh, I think everyone knows what the rules are now. And that is going to allow the industry to, you know, build in a, in a constructive way with a, a solid, uh, a solid foundation. I, I mean, I do think that, um, I think all securities will probably be tokenized at some point in the future and we won't care. It won't, you know, for most of us, it will be invisible, transparent, but the securities, the ownership, the transferability of the securities will be more secure and easier and cheaper. And um, we'll go on with our day-to-day -day lives, but but it will have been a, a significant transformation. So, I mean, I, I absolutely do believe that um, the blockchain crypto world can continue to develop in a way that is consistent with the law. I, I don't, you know, sometimes you hear people speak as if there's some inherent incompatibility there, but, but there really isn't. Um, as I often say when I speak at the conferences, it's, it's easy to do a fully compliant ICO. It, it's not, you know, it's not complicated. Um, it's easy to sell tokens legally, and it's even easy to make a true utility token. I don't know how much you guys get into that, but there's no there's no magic about any of this. It is perfectly possible to comply with the law and have a very successful blockchain business. Yeah, we, that's one thing that we haven't really gotten into the show. So that might be of interest for, for listeners too, just to share a little bit more information on that, the difference between a security token uh, and uh, versus a utility token. Okay, terrific. Um, because that's an important issue that often seems really complicated and esoteric, but but isn't. Um, so I guess I'll 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 start off by saying the U.S. securities laws that you know that's what applies whenever you raise money from people when, by selling them a security. The U.S. securities laws only apply to securities. What is the security? Um, it's certainly a share of stock, it's a bond, it's a promissory note. Um, but as you get into more and more kind of obscure and esoteric kinds of financial instruments, sometimes the definition gets a little fuzzy. And a famous case called the Howey case went all the way up to the Supreme Court 
And the Supreme Court came up with a definition, which, um, you know, has some technical components, but is kind of like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography, which is, I know it when I see it. Um, The Supreme Court's definition of what a security is, is basically, if you raise money from people um, and you sell them anything where they're looking for you or some third party to increase the value of their investment, that's a security, okay? And it doesn't matter what you call it, but if the economic reality is that the person giving you the money is expecting to experience an increase in value because of stuff you're doing, that's a security. Okay. Now, here's, here's the example that I always use. Let's say that you're going to uh, create a chain of movie theaters, okay? Nothing technologically complicated, just a chain of, you know, 25 movie theaters or something. You haven't built any of them yet. You need money. You need a lot of money. So the traditional way to raise that money would have been to sell stock in your company. Clearly a security, right? You get to own 25% of my company if you give me $5 million. No problem. The other way you could raise money is by selling little blue movie tickets, okay? The little blue tickets we all, we all know about. Well, tokens are nothing but little blue movie tickets. Every single token, no matter how cool it might seem and what it will get you in the digital world and how long the white paper is for that token, it's just a little blue movie ticket, okay? So, is it a security? Is that little blue movie ticket a security? If I sell that little blue movie ticket to future moviegoers and I say, listen, you know, once we get all these things built, we're going to charge $12 for admission. But because they haven't been built yet, we'll sell this thing to you for $2, right? We're just pre-selling admission tickets. And we, and we you know, we say this is going to, we're going to have a lot of uh, children shows, so parents, grandparents buy these things up. Tremendous discount. We're going to have theaters built as early as next year. Buy these for the Christmas season. Everything I've just said, I am selling a utility token. I am selling a little blue ticket because it will get you admission to see a movie. That is a utility token. However, If under the same circumstances, I sell that little blue ticket by saying, guess what? Someday, these little blue tickets are going to be worth a lot of money. So buy one now and put it in your IRA and save it for your retirement. And in fact, I'm going to arrange to create a secondary market for these little blue tickets so that you can buy one now and sell it to another investor tomorrow for more than you paid for it. And these little blue movie tickets are gonna increase in value as I build more and more theaters and who knows what they might be worth someday. Now I have a security token. I have turned 
the little blue ticket into a security by the way that I'm marketing it and the purpose for which I am marketing it. I'm marketing it in the second case as an investment. And that example with the little blue movie ticket illustrates, I think, everything anyone ever needs to know <laughs> about the difference between um, utility tokens and security tokens. Tokens are never more complicated than a little blue movie ticket, and it just depends on what you're selling them for. Are you selling them for admission to a movie, or are you selling it as an investment? Um, finally, just to not be, because the lingo in the industry is often very confusing, I just referred to a little blue movie ticket as a security token. These days, people are selling actual stock in their company and calling it a security token. And all they mean by this is, yeah, it's a token. And yes, it's a security. Okay. But it's really just a share of stock in their company. So we refer to a security token both as just ordinary plain vanilla stock that happens to be tokenized and a little blue movie ticket that's sold as an investment. Does that halfway make sense? Yeah, abs absolutely. And what, uh, th I mean, this, this industry um, and this space was, uh, was ablaze, right, uh, at the end of last year. It got a lot of attention. A lot of people were talking about it. This year, been, it's been relatively quiet. What do you see happening in the cryptocurrency and the blockchain and the token space in 2019? Well, of course, what we saw in 2008 or 17, I, I think what we saw, and I, there's still some people who disagree with me, but I think we saw what, what we saw in the crypto space was a classic bubble. That was a, a speculative bubble. Uh, you know, that would have the same price chart as the tulip bubble, you know, way back when, hundreds of years ago. And although I wasn't alive hundreds of years ago, I was alive during the 1990s and went through the dot-com bubble. And it felt and looked and sounded exactly the same. So I, I think with Bitcoin and the other actual cryptocurrencies. I think at the end of 2017, we just saw a classic speculative bubble that I believe has pretty much burst. And um, personally, I'm not sure. I really have no opinion about the future of cryptocurrencies as such. I, I know a lot of very smart people, smarter than I am, are on one side of the equation and a lot of other smart people are on the other side of the equation. I don't know what the future holds for cryptocurrency. I, I, you know, the predictions about replacing banks and replacing national currencies, and I think the, those are certainly not going to come true, but that doesn't mean that crypto, there's not some uh, use for cryptocurrencies as such. Blockchain, on the other hand, as far as I can tell, coming from a technology background myself, blockchain is a very, very useful, disruptive, transformative technology. There are a lot of people doing a lot of exciting sounding things 
in the blockchain world. And I, I believe that, you know, once you drain out all the hype from the speculative bubble, I do think that there's a lot of value to the blockchain world and that, you know, you're going to see some exciting things happen in, in 2019. It, you know, it's, it's not going to change the human condition, you know, just as um, nuclear power didn't change the human condition and electricity didn't and automobiles and television and radio and, and all those other things that at the time, some people, you know, speculate there's going to be some technology that, oh, just changes everything. That's not going to happen with blockchain, just as it didn't happen with all those other technologies. But it, it is going to be helpful. I, I think it's going to shave uh, transaction costs down. And when you add up a lot of pennies of savings, that can be, you know, trillions of dollars. So I, I, think, I think it's an exciting, uh, I think it's an exciting space when you drain the hype from it. And I think 2019, now that everyone has sort of calmed down um, and we know what rules apply, what laws apply and what d laws don't apply, and we understand the difference between little blue movie tickets, you know, that I, I think there's a lot of promise for the blockchain industry. A core message in our shows to leave our families, communities and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset values and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Well, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> so let me just, I, I will make the point again that I, that I just made, but now I get to make it in a more philosophical way. Um, what we have seen, we just saw in the in 2017, um, we saw human beings once again uh, hoping and convincing themselves that a technology was going to save them. In this case, blockchain. Um, I, I've had people say to me, you know, I would say. You know, what do you, you know, there's no technology that's going to change human nature. And I've had people say, no, 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 blockchain is really going to change human nature. Very smart people would say this. And um, this happens time after time after time. You know, people said it about the internet. The internet was going to free humankind from the chains of the oppressors. And of course, the internet did a lot of cool things, and the internet has also done some, you know, Russia now interferes in 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 our presidential elections, um, and we have lost our privacy and so forth. And I'm I'm not certainly not condemning it. The internet has been terrific, but it, it certainly didn't wasn't going to save us. Nuclear power, another example I gave at the time. Oh boy, this was just going to we were all going to lead lives of leisure because of the free energy. And, and you could go through example after example after example. Um, what we learned recently is, as you probably know, as your listeners know, 
the fellow who burst into the synagogue in Pittsburgh uh, screaming against Jews and killed a bunch of people um, had uh, frequented a website that I'm I'm not going to name because I don't want to give it publicity where these kinds of views are uh, tolerated, if not encouraged. And uh, once that became known in the days after the shooting, his internet, the internet service providers took that site down. The, I, I have read uh, in recent days that, that those folks are now going to come back online using blockchain technology that will uh, ensure that no one can interfere with their message and, and getting their message, that message of hatred out to a, a wide audience. And so there's an example where, you know, blockchain is going to be used, uh, you know, for outright evil. Um, and that doesn't mean blockchain is bad, but to answer your question of passing down some wealth and wisdom to future generations, uh, as I've written in my, on my blog, <laughs> how blockchain is remembered 25 years from now is not going to depend on the technology. It's going to depend on the human beings who are using the technology. And that means all of us. Um, you know, is how is Facebook going to be remembered? Is it going to be remembered as a great technology that uh, connected human beings all across the globe? Or is it going to be remembered for, um, you know, the, the fake news that it helped broadcast? So my, my point is that it's extremely important, in my opinion, to remember that it's not the technology that matters. It's the human beings. And we cannot escape our responsibility for acting ethically, no matter what technology we use. So I hope that wasn't too philosophical for you. But I, as you can probably tell, I feel pretty strongly about that. No, and thank you so much for sharing. How can my listeners learn more about you, um, and your company, and all of the, uh, and just stay informed of all of the pro many projects that you're involved with? Well, the best way to stay in touch with me is is through my blog. Um, and I don't know whether your listeners are seeing or anything. Any, any, anyway, my blog is www crowdfund c-r-o-w-d-f-u-n-d so that's easy to spell but then a-t-t-n-y dot com short for attorneys so crowdfund attorney with a-t-t-n-y for attorney and there's a huge amount of stuff there no marketing stuff just a lot of uh resources it's a very widely read resource for the uh crowdfunding industry so Feel free, take a look, and I hope you I hope you like something you see there. Fantastic. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been a, a great topic with uh, a lot of folks have reached out to me about it, crowdfunding, blockchain tokens, and, and cryptocurrencies. Uh, very, very insightful and very uh, interesting and inform informative. 
Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. MC Lobshire, the creator and host of The Cashflow Ninja and president of Producers Wealth. And I'm on a mission to help you achieve economic and financial freedom as quickly as possible. I achieve this by integrating the infinite banking concept with real estate investments to increase your efficiency and returns and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware of that you're losing. I share the number one strategy for investors in my holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.